the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to Practical Living with Dale O'Shield, Senior Pastor of Church of the Redeemer in Maryland. We pray that through this message, you will learn how to apply God's Word and truth to your life. Stay with us as we discover God's truths that will transform us. Let me remind you before we get into the essence of today's message, obeying God the first time is the best thing. Obeying God the first time is the best choice you'll ever make in life. Not fighting God and resisting God and failing to surrender, but surrendering your life to God is always the best choice in your life. So say together with me, surrender is the best choice. Say it with me, surrender is the best choice. Obedience to God is the best choice in your life. Not the second time, but the first time. As soon as God makes clear what you're to do and how you're to live, our response should be, yes, God, whatever you say is what I want in my life. So the rest of today's message will not have the importance or power that it should unless you understand the first point of foundation that I've given to you. Here's the second lesson for for us today. While surrender is the best choice, we have to understand that failure to surrender isn't final. I was hoping I'd get a little bit of an amen right there, okay? Do the Frederick folks say amen? Okay. Gaithersburg folks, can you say amen as well? Can we all say amen together? Amen, okay? Failure isn't final. Now, obedience is the best policy, but disobedience is our reality. Should I say that again? Obedience is the best policy, but disobedience is more of our reality. There are more times that we say no than times that we say yes to God. There are so many times that we fail to surrender to God on that first option, that first opportunity. And so we have to ask ourselves the question, what happens when we don't get it right the first time? And often this disobedient nature takes over. And the reason is because we're all children of Adam and Eve. And Adam and Eve sinned against God, against God in the garden and passed unto us what we inherited, this sinful nature, all of sin and fallen short of the glory of God. So we have this bend inside of us toward doing the wrong thing instead of the right thing. And so we're children of Adam and Eve and we're brothers and sisters of Jonah. In fact, I told you a couple of weeks ago, you might as well change your name to Jonah because you're one of the family, okay, as am I. Because more times than not, we have moments in our life when we do the wrong thing rather than doing the right thing. So here's a very important question that I want us to search out today. How did God handle Jonah when he did the wrong thing? And how does God handle us when we do 
the wrong thing. When we do what Jonah did, uh, what Jonah did in his life, instead of surrendering, we fail to surrender. And the the story of Jonah actually answers this question for us. It teaches us what God does for people who don't get it right the first time. Take a look with me at Jonah chapter 2, verse 10. So we're in the second chapter of Jonah, the final verse of the second chapter, and look at what it says. Then the Lord ordered the fish to spit Jonah out onto the beach. Now, I read to you last week from another translation, NIV, and it says, Then the Lord ordained or ordered or, uh, or commanded the fish to vomit Jonah out onto dry ground. Perhaps that's better because this one sounds a little bit more like a resort, okay? No, Jonah was not vomited out, spit out on the Caribbean island somewhere. He was vomited out on dry ground. And then notice we're at the latter part. We just came to the final verse of chapter 2, and we switch into chapter 3 where everything changes And please notice the very first verse of Jonah chapter 3. Read it together with me. It will be on the screen. Let's read aloud and loudly. Read it with me. Then the Lord spoke to Jonah a, a second time. A second time. There are perhaps no more encouraging words in all the Bible to hear when we failed than to hear a second time. A second time. See, Jonah deserved to be completely rejected. He deserved to be completely disqualified by God. But God comes to him a second time and says, Jonah, here's a, here's a new opportunity. Jonah, here's a, a second chance. Here's an opportunity for you to actually begin again. You got it wrong the first time, but I'm coming to you a second time. And so the question is, how did Jonah handle this situation the second time. Let's go back and continue to read here in Jonah chapter 3, beginning in verse number 1. Then Jonah spoke, then the Lord spoke to Jonah a second time. And what did God say to him? Get up and, say it with me, get up and go. Get up and go to the great city of Nineveh and deliver the message I've given you. This time, this time, this time, Jonah obeyed the Lord's command and went to Nineveh, a city so large that it took three days to see it all. When God comes to him a second time, Jonah got it right the second time. He wasted no time beginning again. He didn't stay down. He didn't wallow in his failure. And this teaches us some very important lessons in our lives. While obedience to God the first time is the wisest thing you'll ever do in life, many times we don't do it right the first time. And because we don't do it right the first time, the question is, does God ever give second chances? And I'm here to remind you today, and boy, do I want to shout about this. God is the God of second chances. Amen. He's the God of second chances. He's the God that picks people up who didn't get it right the first time. And there are people 
in this worship center today, people in our Gaithersburg worship center today, people that are listening online or watching online today, or someone that will be listening to this maybe six months from now, and you've failed, you've missed the mark, you, you didn't get it right the first time, and I'm here again to remind you that our God is the God of second chances. Dare I say, and I will say, he's not only the God of second chances, but third chances and fourth chances and fifth chances. He will stay after you until you get it right. That, that is, that is no excuse for the main principle I gave you that obedience to God the first time is always the best thing in your life. But God is the God of second chances. So what do we do when we didn't get it right the first time? And I would not be a good pastor to you if I didn't teach you what to do when you fail. Because we all fail at times. We all get it wrong at times. We all, as I mentioned a moment ago, are brothers and sisters of Jonah. We run the opposite direction of what God says to do. Do you want to experience God's best even if it's the second time around? Do you? Okay. Number one, you need to express sincere sorrow to God for your sin. In the belly of that fish, as you go back in chapter 2 and read, Jonah came to the place of really being sorry for his sin. And that's true for you and me as well. Not sorry that it just sort of messed up our life, but really sorry that we broke God's law. Sorry that we missed the mark with God. And, And not just sorry where we shed just a few tears, but sorry in a way that produces something the Bible calls repentance. And that's what real sorrow is. It brings about a change in your thinking. The Greek word for repentance is the word metanoia, and it means to change your thinking in a way that changes your attitudes and your your behavior. And so God says, are you really sorry for the fact that you've gone your own way? Because God can do a lot of stuff with people who are sorry for their sins. Paul the Apostle writes in 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 10, Godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation. Notice, godly sorrow has the effect of bringing about repentance that leads to a change of your life, to salvation, and leaves no regret. But worldly sorrow brings death. What is worldly sorrow? It's just feeling guilty about something and never doing anything about it. Worldly sorrow. Please listen to that. Guilt never changes anybody. Have you ever changed someone by guilting them? No. Shame never changes anyone. Guilt and shame are useful only in this sense. They remind you that something's wrong in your life that needs to get fixed. Think of guilt and shame as the dashboard of your car, and you often will see when there's a problem with your engine, the check engine light. Anybody have the check engine light on your car? You don't have that on your car? Okay. It's a little thing that pops up or you have something that tells you there's a problem with your car. There's this little message that's given to you there. And the message isn't the problem. The message is pointing to the problem. It would be foolish to get out a gun and shoot the light, okay? Because the light's not the problem. The light's telling you your engine is the problem. And guilt is that same thing. Guilt is that flashing light on the dashboard of your car telling you problem, problem, problem. And many times we try to attack the guilt and get rid of the guilt and push the guilt and the shame away. Or we try to heap on guilt or shame onto somebody's life thinking that's going to change him. No, that never changes anyone. What changes someone is really deep sorrow for having broken God's law and broken God's will, and it produces repentance that changes everything. Number two, the second thing that's necessary to experience the 
return the restoration from a failure in your life is honest ownership of your sin. Not only are you sorry, but you also own it. What that means is this. It means that you confess your sin to God. That that moment of guilt turns into godly sorrow, and then you go to God and say, God, I'm going to acknowledge before you and own up with you what I've done wrong and to name what you've done wrong to God. Interesting word, confess, in the Greek language, the New Testament language. It's, it's a combination word, and the, the combined Greek word is homo logeo. Two words, homo, same, logeo, word. So homo logeo, confess, means to say the same thing about your sin that God says about it. That is, if God says it's wrong, you agree it's wrong. Okay. You don't argue with God and say, hey, God, I have a reason for this. This is justified. In fact, part of the problem with our world today is we've lost wrong and right, right and wrong. We've lost the awareness of what God says is appropriate, what God says is inappropriate. And so we've got people making up their own ways in this world now, and they're this called relativism. relativism. Uh, whatever feels good to me is okay as long as I can justify it. No, that's not God's way. God's way is this is right and this is wrong, and when I violate it, I agree with God and say, God, you're right, I'm wrong. That's called confession. It's owning your sin. If we're truly guilty of our sin and sorry for our sin, then it brings us to that confession. The psalmist David says in Psalm 32, these words, there was a time, I'm reading from the Living Bible, there was a time when I wouldn't admit what a sinner I was, but my dishonesty made me miserable and filled my days with frustration. All day and all night, your hand was heavy on me. My strength evaporated like water on a sunny day until I finally, what's the next word? Come on, church. I finally admitted all my sins to you and stopped trying to hide them. I said to myself, I will confess them to the Lord, and you forgave me. All my guilt is gone. I think that's a great place to add a hallelujah. Don't you think so? Okay. All my guilt is gone. Okay. Now I say that each believer should confess his sins to God when he's aware of them. While there is time to be forgiven, judgment will not touch him if he does. So we confess. We go to God and say, God, I'm really, really sorry. I'm sorry when you said to go to Nineveh, I went to Tarshish. I'm sorry when you said to do this, I did that. I'm sorry, and God, I confess this sin to you. I ask you to forgive me. And we confess it to God. Oftentimes it's helpful to confess it to someone else as well. As the Bible says in James chapter 5, verse 16, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. I will add one little phrase there. It goes on to say the earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power and wonderful results. It's, it's sometimes it helps to have a person that you can pray with about the problems that you're going through in your life. But the key is the right person. You can't just confess your sins to anybody because some folks are gossips, okay? So you've got to find the right people. And sometimes there's an important moment that you need another person in your life that's there to help you find that healing. That's why we have things like Celebrate Recovery. Celebrate Recovery provides an environment where you can deal with stuff like that. And you're dealing with it not just on your own, but you're dealing with it with the help of other people. You're praying for one another so that there's healing. The third thing that's necessary is faith. Faith in God's forgiveness. 
Are you tracking with me today? Is God the God of a second chance? He is. When He gives us a second chance, what should we do? We should be sorry, deeply sorry for our sin. We should confess it to God. And then we need to have faith that our God is a forgiving God. And we need to receive forgiveness. Let me see if I can explain it this way. I want you to think with me about the word forgiveness. Say it with me. Forgiveness. I want you to say it in three parts. Forgiveness. What is, it in the, what is in the heart of forgiveness? What's the word that's in the heart of forgiveness? Give. Okay. Forgiveness is not something you earn from God. Forgiveness is a gift from God. It's what He gives to you. It's not for earnness. It's not for worksness. It's not, oh God, I've sinned. I need to go and say 500 uh, our fathers. Nothing wrong with saying 500 our fathers, but that doesn't earn you forgiveness. Because 500 our fathers doesn't earn you forgiveness. Because there's no works that will ever earn you forgiveness. You can't work enough to to earn God's forgiveness. Why? Because it's a gift. It's something that God says, I'm willing to give this to you. If you'll ask me, I will give it to you. And so you and I come and we simply accept the fact that if we confess our sins, as the Bible says in 1 John 1, 9, that he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. All unrighteousness. It's a great story in Zechariah chapter 3 of a, a priest by the name of Joshua or Joshua. Some translations give us his name. And let me read this story for you. Zechariah chapter 3 verse 1. And then the angel showed me Joshua or Joshua the high priest standing before the angel of the Lord. The accuser, Satan, was there at the angel's right hand making accusations against Joshua or Joshua. And the Lord said to Satan, I, the Lord, reject your accusation, Satan. Yes, the Lord has chosen Jerusalem. The Lord who has chosen Jerusalem rebukes you. This man is like a burning stick. Joshua, Joshua is like a burning stick that I have snatched from the fire. The fire was about to destroy him, but I snatched him out. So the angel said to the others standing there, Excuse me, verse 3. Yeshua's clothing was filthy as he stood there before the angel. So the angel said to the others standing there, Take off his filthy clothes. And turning to Yeshua, he said, See, I have taken away your sins, and now I'm giving you these fine new clothes. This is what Jesus does for you when you come to him and you've missed the mark. And you should have gotten it right the first time, but you didn't. And God comes and he speaks to you a second time, or maybe it's a third time, or maybe it's a tenth time if you're really stubborn. Okay. And he comes back to you again and says, I told you what you need to be doing now. Will you come to me again? And we come to God with sorrow in our heart. We confess our sins and then we don't earn his forgiveness. It's freely given to us by God. And then the next thing that we do is we rebuild our confidence and we rebuild our character. You need to restore your confidence that you are back in right relationship with God and learn from your failures. What did you learn from the mistake of your life? What did you learn about the, the detrimental aspects of going away from God rather than going to God? Because if you haven't learned anything from your failure, you're still foolish, okay? Wise people learn from their failures. And so what did you learn? Have you learned anything 
for what you went through? Did you learn not to go to that place anymore? Not to hang out with that person anymore? Not to fill in the blank or to do whatever it might be. What did you learn that got you in trouble the first time that now becomes a lesson for you in the future? There's a story in John chapter 8 of Jesus with a, uh, with a group of Pharisees who brought to him a woman who is noticed as caught in the very act of adultery. Not accused of adultery, but actually caught in the very act of adultery. So these Pharisees bring this lady to Jesus. More than likely, either she was naked or clothed in a and threw this woman down at the feet of Jesus and said, Hey, Jesus, this woman was caught in the very act of adultery. The law says stone her. What do you say, Jesus? And Jesus bent down on the ground and began to write in the dust. And that's another story for another day in terms of what Jesus wrote. But one by one, all of the Pharisees, these religious, self-righteous people left. And finally, it's just Jesus and this lady that... that that's in this setting now. And the spotlight goes to Jesus as he's talking to this woman. And in verse number 10, John chapter 8, we see these words, Jesus straighten up and ask her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? Where are the people that were here condemning you? No one, sir, she said. Neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. But he didn't stop there. Read the last sentence with me. What did he say? Go now and leave your life of sin. Jesus said, I'm not condemning you, but I hope you learned a lesson from this. I'm not condemning you, but now go and live life differently than you lived it before. Take a lesson from your failures. And then number five, you and I need to re-engage with God and with other people. To be restored, you need that re-engagement, returning to active service, returning to active worship. One of the things that I've noticed over the years is I've noticed that when people uh, mess up, when they blow it with God and they make some mistakes in their life, sometimes they just quit coming to church they just, they, they, you know, because they feel so guilty. They want to get right with God, but they stop coming to church because of their shame and their guilt. Never let that happen to you. The best place you can be if you've made some mistakes in your life is church. Amen? That's the best place you can be. Why? Because church is not a museum for saints. It's a hospital for sinners. Okay? That's what we are. We're not here to show off how holy we are. We're here to say we all need healing in our life. We all need restoration. And so the best place that you can be in your life... It's when you've, when you've fallen away. Don't run away from church. Run, run to church as fast as you can get there. Okay? And you may come to church but still feel guilty. And, and maybe you're in the middle of worship. You, you get your hands up and the devil shows up and says, who, who do you think you are? You remember what you did last Tuesday? Remember what you said? Remember what you did? And the devil begins to accuse you and the devil begins to remind you of your past. The devil is so good at reminding people about their past. He'll sit right on your shoulder, he'll whisper in your ear, and he'll tell you all the things you did in the past that were wrong. You did this and you did that. And before long, the hands that were like this start becoming like this. And before long, they're like this. Before long, they're like this. Okay. And the mouth that was singing praise to God shuts up and stops praising God because shame has shut you down. Okay. The devil shaming you has shut you down. I don't know who originally said it, but I love the statement. I would give credit to whoever said it, 
uh, originally. I don't know who it is, so I'll take credit for it, okay? I'm joking. Every time the devil reminds you of your past, you remind him of his future. Amen? Okay. All right? What's the future of the adversary? The lake of fire forever and ever. So every time the devil shows up and starts talking to you about your past that's under the blood of Jesus that you've been forgiven for, that Jesus has washed you and cleansed you from, every time he tries to bring up stuff that Jesus has forgiven, you just remind him, hey, you're telling me about your past. This is a great opportunity for me to remind you of what your future is going to be. Amen? Perhaps as you have been listening to today's broadcast, you felt a stirring in your heart, something that reminded you that you need to get something right in your life with God. The first way to start in that journey with God is to open your heart to Jesus Christ, to make Him the Lord of your life, to turn over all your life to Him. And that begins with a very simple prayer. I want to lead you in that prayer right now, and it's a prayer that you can pray right where you are. Say these words, Jesus I invite you into my life today to forgive me of all my sins. I need you. I want you. I want you to take charge of my life. Be my Lord and Savior in Jesus' name. Now, if you just prayed that prayer with me, I want to encourage you with a promise from God's Word that says, when we call on God's name, when we call on the name of His Son, Jesus, there is salvation that is brought to our lives. He changes us from the inside out. And the Bible says that if any person is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things pass away. Behold, all things become new. And that's what's happened to you today as you've opened your heart to Christ. Let me encourage you. You need to take the next step. The next step is to make sure that you get into a good Bible-believing church where you're studying God's Word. And make sure you get a copy of God's Word and begin to read it. Spend some time each day in prayer. You've been listening to the teaching ministry of Practical Living with Dale O'Shield, Senior Pastor of Church of the Redeemer in Maryland. If you would like more information, please visit our website at church-redeemer.org. May God bless you and make you a blessing. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.